0: Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast i'm keith robinson and for the next half hour or so we're inviting you to listen in on a fascinating conversation that i recently had with a really smart person his name is brock Shinen. brock is the founder of the law office of brock Shinen inc a boutique law firm emphasizing business and intellectual property matters with a focus on helping online businesses Brock is an Amazon number one best-selling author. He's the host of a successful podcast, a seasoned attorney with more than a decade of experience in advertising online businesses. Today, he is a consultant helping many organizations, including churches, nonprofits, and small businesses, as they navigate the often uncharted waters of figuring out who Owns it. And so today we're going to look at that from the perspective of those in ministry. So consider for a moment that churches and nonprofits really are some of the most creative places to work. Every single week, it's staggering how much original content churches produce. Churches are frequently creating original art whether that's through photography or the composition of new songs, lyrics for songs, performance pieces, videos and graphic designs that your creative team is making, discipleship content that your student pastor, family ministry pastor, discipleship pastor is writing. A church's creative content, its ideas, its concepts, and its works are what the law refers to as intellectual property. So the question is, who owns that property? And what implications does answering this question have for churches, nonprofits, and for those who work in them? And so with that in mind, Brock, welcome to the show. We are so glad to have you joining us today, and I can't wait to dive in and have this conversation with you.
2: Awesome, Keith. Thanks so much for having me. Looking, Definitely looking forward to covering it.
1: Yeah, and Brock, just take a minute. I gave you a, a little bit of an introduction there, but <laughs> why don't you take a moment and talk to our guests? You know, we mostly have our listeners, our individuals who are in local church ministry or nonprofit work. They are kingdom-minded leaders who are hoping to bring about real change, lasting change through their ministries. And so uh, with yeah. that in mind, talk a little bit about what you do in your work.
2: Yeah, basically... The way I spend my time is so deeply rooted in church, local church life. Um, I grew up as a, a kid of a pastor. My mom was a worship leader, you know, family lineage of people in ministry and missions. So for me, this is in my blood, but I work with churches every day. It's, it's a very distinct, identifiable part of what I do. And where I, I think my um, sort of skill set and gift set mixes with what your, your people are looking for is there's an intersection of church culture, right? There's an intersection of nonprofit law. There's an intersection of intellectual property law. There's an intersection of just like kind of the standards and nuances of entertainment, Mm -hmm. whether that's music or film or YouTube or TikTok or whatever. There are kind of all these little nuances of culture. So where I spend a lot of my time is where all of those pieces intersect and then helping people navigate that. So getting very strategic, very pragmatic about how do you navigate these questions? I mean, this this is tough stuff. Even for me, I have to read constantly. I have to learn constantly because it's it's evolving. So for me and, and how I spend my time, this is a big piece of what brings me to life.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for what you do. I know those who have been, you know, beneficiaries, so to speak, of of <laughs> your work and those that you have helped to sort this out because these these really do, I think at some point, they kind of become an ethical dilemma because. All of this is happening under a religious umbrella. And right. so intellectual property and who owns it really can start to feel like this ethical dilemma. So how does someone go about trying to sort that out?
2: I think the starting point is to hit pause mentally and to step back and take a broader view. Because what happens is, especially with creatives, we're, we're in the trenches, right? We're working every day, we're working to, on things and towards things and we kind of know it's almost like you know you're on the trails running and you thought you heard something in the bushes and it's like is that a mountain lion tracking me but i'm just going to pay attention to the trail i'm going to keep running mm. and and i think that's what creatives do a lot of time in the church is they say i hear this maybe a looming threat kind of out on the sidelines mm. but i'm going to stay focused on my lane i'm not going to worry too much about that because it's the board's responsibility or senior leaders responsibility or somebody else's And not to like shirk the responsibility, but just to say, hey, I need to stay where my lane is. I need to stay in my gift set. And that's creating, right? That's Mm -hmm. output. That's that's developing, creating, and putting things out. Mm -hmm. However, in order to really have this conversation, even as a creative, I think it's critical that you hit pause and say, what do I need to know about this conversation? Because every decision you make as a creative is impacted and impacts the church's nonprofit status. It, It has a legal consequence. So mm-hmm. if you're creating let's say that you you start a project at 4:30 and your hours are 9 to 5, you start a project at 4:30 at the office and then head home and finish it up, you know, has anybody asked what do we do with a project that's created part on the clock and part off the clock? You know, mm-hmm. have we even thought of that? Does that affect ownership? Does that affect rights? Does that impact the church in any way? Well, I, I can tell you from experience, people aren't thinking about that, right? They're right. they're thinking linear. I need to just get this thing out the door. I need to finish mm. this. So all these pieces of the decisions, it's like a puzzle and you have to at least have a basic understanding of where all those pieces are in order to make sure that they fit together.
1: That's good. Not to be an alarmist, but just a realist, I think. What happens when churches and leaders think about this after the fact instead of before? What if some of the some of the things that you've seen
2: yeah. it's I hate to say it um, because it does sound like an alarmist, but I've seen it go bad. I've seen lawsuits. I've seen, seen threats of lawsuits. I've seen churches spend tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars navigating disputes that really could have been handled in a conversation and a signature. So, So part of it is when you wait and you don't address these issues, you know, I, I like to say there's, there's a couple of things that if you know me and, and anyone that works with me has probably heard me say uh, both of these things. Everyone's a brother and sister in Christ until we put a million bucks on the table. And then we figure out who's a brother and sister in Christ. <laughs> so money does change conversations. Appreciate if you're writing songs and you've never had a hit and everybody is like great with that, but then all of a sudden you have a CCLI number one song and somebody's going to get a big check. The conversation shifts. And the problem for me is why weren't we talking about what would happen if this song yeah. became successful? What, why weren't we talking about if this video or this project or this curriculum went off the charts and how we would address that? How does it impact our status? Mm-hmm. Do we care if the guy that was driving up in a, in a CRV is now driving up in a Lamborghini? Do we care? Yeah. So I think part of it is that we, we just need to dive into these uncomfortable conversations um, yeah. way in advance because the consequences are, if I wrote this thing, if I developed this project, if, if mm-hmm. I put my fingers on it and I don't like where things are going, I can say I own it. And and I say that as an individual, the church mm-hmm. says, well, we own it because you know if you created it in the scope of your employment, the church mm-hmm. owns it well, what about the fact that I did some of this off the clock? Or what if I just say I did it all off the Mm -hmm. clock? All these problems turn into disputes that cost the church resources, financial and otherwise. The energy level, the emotions associated with somebody Mm -hmm. breaking off, it's catastrophic. And I've seen churches go on the verge of utter, like like literally falling off the ledge because their entire creative team starts a war over one person's bad decision because they yeah. saw you know, money or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, at times, Slingshot has been on the heels of some of that fallout. And some of it was a result of this very conversation that we're ha- having right now. And here's why. Again, churches are really creative places to work. I, I see it. And it's amazing the kinds of content that so many churches are producing these days. And you don't even have to be a massive church with a large budget. I know some are listening to this and going, man, I wish a million dollars on the table was the problem I was having right now, <laughs> right? But all right. it takes is a creative piece that goes right. viral, a concept or an idea that catches on and speaks to something in culture that people are interested in.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the piece for me is that when when we don't know the questions to ask we won't ask the questions mm-hmm. and so a lot of times churches are hesitant to to basically instigate a conversation that's going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because there's a fear of i don't even know what we're supposed to do so what i see is a lot of churches will just take a hard stance they'll draw a hard line on well then this is our policy mm-hmm. because we don't want to have to get into these uncomfortable conversations but let me give you an example mm-hmm. a church that says we own it all. If you create it, we own it. And I've seen churches go so far as to say, "Hey, even if you create it off the clock, because you get the benefits of this environment, this creativity here, mm-hmm. you sometimes take our instruments home, our recording equipment home, our cameras, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that we own it all. And on paper, that looks interesting, and it could even look, you know, good to a church. But the problem is, is what are you doing to creativity? You're stifling it, right? Because if you're creative. And you say, wait a second, everything I create, this church is going to take, not knowing whether the church is going to invest in it, promote Mm. it, distribute it, put it on a shelf, throw it in the trash. So what happens is you start to create a culture where you're disincentivizing creativity by your policies. But the only reason you have the policies is because you don't really understand why you should or shouldn't have a policy in the first place. And so you, you just default to the most conservative perspective. And the, and the mm-hmm. difficult part for churches, in particular, is that as nonprofits, they default to, well, we're worried about private benefit and private inurement. We can't give you anything. The church, mm-hmm. you know the IRS will get on our back. Maybe that's true, but maybe that's not true. Mm-hmm. Or they have a conservative accounting firm that does you know uh, voluntary audits every year, and the auditors have said, "Hey, your people can't own anything. So they just take a hard line without without ever really digging into the questions. But the mm-hmm. two sides of that coin are, every single time they do that, they being the church, they're disincentivizing the creatives to create, which will which will do usually one of two things. It will drive the creatives to create off the clock, yeah. in which case the church won't own it at all, won't mm-hmm. have an investment in it, and won't reap the benefits of that relationship. Or yeah. number two, they're encouraging their creatives to basically jump ship and go to a church that does value their, creative, their creativity and will invest in it.
1: So true. And such a great piece of advice. And so if you were to sit, up, sit across from a senior pastor or a senior leader of a nonprofit or someone in the organization whose responsibility it is to attract young talent, talent that can create and inspire what kind of advice would you give to that senior leader to say, hey, it's great that you want people like this on your team? Because that's a conversation I have often. But what kind of advice would you give to that senior leader to say, here's how you can actually create a culture where young talent wants to come and be a part of what's happening here and create great things for this organization?
2: It's a great question. And the way that I work is that it's partly the lawyer in me and partly the strategist in me. I always want to know both sides of the argument. So I know the instinct is to say, well, hey, you bring on creatives by saying, it's a free for all for you. You get, you get all the rewards. You get all the benefits. Mm. But as soon as I say that, or as soon as a leader says that, that's going to be our policy. I say, so answer me this. How is the church stewarding its resources? How is the church uh, stewarding the benefits of a transaction that it invests in and gets no return? You mm-hmm. know, when you think about, I, I've thought a lot about this there's certain aspects of church ministry where we invest in and the expectation of return is really like kingdom, solely kingdom. So for example, if we're bagging up food for the homeless community in our, you know, our local church community, um, we don't expect money from that, right? We don't right. expect, we're not selling something. So the transaction is kingdom level. Mm. The, the transaction is we're investing in those people in hopes of a spiritual return that their soul will be fed Within the mm. church, right? We're sowing into good. them. Yep. But when we create, there is a there's a possibility of the church financially um, being rewarded from its investment in it. And that's different mm. than some of the other ministries. Yeah. So I don't want to say, well, it's a bus- it becomes a business conversation because it's definitely never purely a business conversation. It's always a kingdom conversation. But mm. the difference is when we can create, when we want to pull talent, to go back to your question, we want to pull talent and say, This is a place where your creativity can prosper, where we're going to invest in it. And I say, Great. But that senior leader is going to look at me and say, Okay, that means that, that the creator owns everything. We're going to mm-hmm. just let them own it, run it, exploit it. And what I usually ask them is, I say, Okay, great. Now, what are you going to do if after a year of letting that, that culture grow here? Your people start rolling up. I always use cars, but they roll up in a Lamborghini. They roll up in a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. um, are you going to be okay with that? Now, I've literally had a couple of churches, um, and I've been doing this for a long time. Um, a couple of churches have said, "Absolutely, man! If God's blessing them that way, we, we would be like we would rejoice with them." Hmm. But ninety nine percent of all of them say, "Wait, something's wrong here." Yeah. If if we're creating a culture where they can create and prosper and the outcome is them pulling up in a Lamborghini because of it, we've done something wrong. And I say, exactly. Now, how, mm-hmm. do, we, how do we balance the, the tension between creating an environment where we can create, but also making sure that, number one, we're not, we're not creating little stars. We're not creating you know celebrities. Yeah. But also that the church can benefit and steward the, the resources that are generated because of that creativity. So that's where it mm-hmm. opens up the conversation with senior leaders to say, what does it look like to balance this? Not yep. where it's one-sided and beneficial. Because in the business world, if we're too beneficial and it doesn't make sense, uh, if we give too much and it doesn't yep. make sense on the p we go out of business. Yep. And I've seen that in the kingdom. Hey, here's you know, some money. Go do good with it. Okay, well, we're going to be generous and so we give it all away. And we're out of business in less than a year. <laughs> right. Because it never made practical business mm-hmm. or financial sense. Uh, mm. Senior leaders do this all the time. So for me, sorry, it's a long-winded answer. No, it's but great. But it's it's a cohesive answer in that mm-hmm. we need a balanced conversation. Yeah. We need to understand how the church is going to prosper and benefit from this. Also, uh, at, at the same time, creating a culture where people can create and feel vested in this yeah. culture and want to remain in it and build in it. And be a family with it. So yeah, that's my that's my answer to it.
1: No, it's great. It's fantastic. Great advice, Brock. Talk for a minute, because I, I think probably there's people listening right now going, well, what what kind of works are we talking about? I mean, I listed a few and you've, you know, referenced a few, but you do this and you've seen all, all sorts of types of creative work. Could you just kind of go through a list really quick of some of the types of work that you're seeing produced that need protection that are you know that rights are kind of getting either wrestled over or fought over what what are some of those things
2: Absolutely so if we're talking about music whether that's recorded music or musical compositions meaning hey I wrote a song I may not be the best artist but I wrote a song and you're a great artist so you record it those are two pieces of property musical composition and the master mm-hmm. but also books curriculum poems photography, sculptures. So as, as we kind of go down this list, some of it starts to feel a little bit like esoteric, like, wait a second. So if I take a picture, let's keep going. Blog posts, articles, mm-hmm. um, TikTok videos. I mean, I use TikTok just because it's an emerging technology, right? Or yep. a platform right now. But I mean, all this stuff that's going up on social media begs the question of whose stuff is that? Right. Because the interesting thing in, in the social media context Historically, we've kind of looked at it as well if it's online, it's free, it's Mm -hmm. freely usable. Yeah, but what you're seeing is that it's you know, there's ways to monetize it, which means somebody owns it in order to monetize it, which also means that if you're using somebody's property without consent online, Mm -hmm. you found it on social media, you're resharing nine out of 10 times, maybe no one cares, right? But somebody owns that piece of property, and if you just make one wrong move with it. It could be the thing that that somebody writes, you know, hires their lawyer and writes a cease and desist. But in terms mm-hmm. of that list, I think people need to be thinking any type of literary work, short form or long form. So articles, yep. blog posts, um, books, curriculum, workbooks, pamphlets, worksheets. You yep. know, a lot of churches have. Well, hey, we had our married class. What do we use in our married, cl- you know, marriage class? Well, we use this twenty-page document. It's not really a book. It's not really a curriculum. It's kind of a part form, part you know, guide, that is a potential piece of property we need to think about. Mm. Um, sermons are an obvious, you know, what about, we, we think about sermons, but what about the teachings that are happening in young adults or in the yeah. kids' ministry? They're, those are uh, a lot of times being captured. They're put on videos. What about what's happening at the man camp or the kids' camp? And yeah. they're capturing video of this stuff. They're taking pictures of people. Every single one of those items is potentially protectable by intellectual property law. And we haven't even talked about privacy laws. I mean, if you're mm. taking a picture of somebody in your church and you end up putting that, you know, or, or you video, um, and I could tell you dozens of war stories on every single <laughs> piece of property I've mentioned, but you're, you're just filming the worship service. You put it on a, on a physical product or even a digital product and sell it. Somebody in the audience says, I never gave you consent to yeah. sell a product with my face on it. Wow. And now you have a dispute. So I think, I think churches and creatives need to get into the mindset of anything written, anything musical, anything film, no matter how large or small, because what we start to do is distinguish, well, it's not a feature film. It's not a documentary. Right. It's just a blog post. It's just mm. a social media meme. Yep. Now, I'm not saying everything's protected. But right. what I am saying is we need to ask the question, is this protected? And if so, what do we need to do about it?
1: Brock, I love this conversation. And I think that there's so many implications for church leaders as we continue to move from analog ministry (laughs) into the digital world that we find ourselves living in. And I think the rise of social media influencers also probably has some sort of implication in this space as well. Those that are um, using their platforms to promote the brand of others. Is there any implication on that level for how churches are seen as influencers?
2: there is because a lot of times there's there becomes sort of uh, a freedom of use if you will of hey online and i and i kind of you know alluded to this a little earlier online everything's acceptable you know mm-hmm. if you saw it you can repost it you can reshare it but what you start to see is that there are people that are building empires of intellectual property and income and they're not going to let it go that you just took something and shared it But when, when churches are saying, Hey, so a quick, a quick example, just to give sort of meat to this churches, you know, build the website says, Hey, we need some stock photography. They go to stock photography site, you know, download some photos, you know, click yes on the license without ever looking at the license. And then they post those photos on their website. A couple things happen. Number one, the license was non-commercial and they, uh, happen to use one of the images on a paid portion of the site, like, Mm. you know, pastor's curriculum, nine 99 a month. And they've used some of the images. That's a violation of that license. That's actionable as copyright infringement and or breach of contract. Right. Not to get too too technical. But the point is, is that when, when churches are becoming these platforms of influence, Mm -hmm. we tend to see that platform as we gather anything and everything and put it out. Mm. We've never asked Keith, you wrote this, you go to our church, we can use it. Did they ask you? Mm-hmm. Did, did we ever ask the question, does the church own this? Did mm-hmm. Keith give us permission? Did Keith mm-hmm. write this off the clock? Does Keith have a license? You know, What if you have an exclusive license for that content with a third party? And now the mm-hmm. church has forced you into a violation. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into the legal nuances, yep. but just conceptually, like, is anyone asking these questions? Well, probably right. not. Yeah. And that's why I say I spend you know a great part of every day navigating these issues because people aren't really thinking about them until they get a lawsuit or they get a call from a lawyer. Hey, we need $50,000 because you violated our rights.
1: Yeah, so, so good. And I think in our eagerness to produce content, to push content out. I mean, every church that I'm working with right now, they just, they want to have a great digital presence. And so in an effort to do that, sometimes shortcuts are taken. Maybe unintentionally, maybe not from a a standpoint of wanting to rip anyone off, but just not really being informed. Sure. Um, What's a good starting point for someone, for even a creative, if they're thinking about their own work or if they're on a leadership team, What's a good starting point? Is there a resource to read? Is there a website to visit? Is there a conversation to be had? Where would would you start?
2: I'd suggest a couple of things that I think all need to happen. Number one is, I think you need to divide that conversation into two conversations. One is incoming and one is outgoing. Mm -hmm. What are we using from the outside? Or what are we using, period, like the incoming conversation? What are we creating and putting out? And so, so first of all, you, you separate those conversations. Now let's look at what are we creating and putting out? Who is the we in that question? Let's start digging into that. Let's Mm -hmm. go deeper. The we, if I say it's the church, well, how did we determine the church owns this in the first place? How do we know that Keith doesn't own this? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we need to start digging. Well, what's our policy? How was this created? What were the circumstances under which it was created? Now, let's say we've landed on we know who owns this, we're all in agreement. Let's document that in some way, okay, okay? once we've documented it in some way, now the next question is how and why are we going to get this out of here? Mm. Are we just going to talk about it, post it, distribute it, sell it, or are we going to create a strategy about now we need to scale this, we need to get mm. this thing out to the world, so those are all kind of the 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 pieces and broad strokes of what I would say are kind of that outgoing conversation, yep. But then also the incoming conversation of, well, I think what happens a lot of times is we'll we'll have a CCLI license at our church. We'll worship, we'll play a Chris Tomlin song or a Carrie Job song or a Pat Barrett song or whatever. Mm-hmm. And well, it's all, you know, CCLI covers it. And then we stream it. We say, well, check the box. The church has a streaming and podcast license. We're still good. Mm-hmm. At that point, most knowledge drops off. But most churches will say, well, hey, we're cool with all that. Why don't we put this on a project? This was awesome. Why don't Mm -hmm. we put this up on Spotify? Why don't Mm -hmm. we put this up on YouTube? Mm -hmm. Now, we stop asking questions. Mm Because our starting point was, it was all good with CCLI, right? Um, But now, does does CCLI cover YouTube? Well, the answer, I mean, I'm not CCLI, but I'll answer at least in part what CCLI would say is, YouTube is an authorized platform Mm -hmm. for specific activities, for specific things. Do we know where the boundary lines are? Probably not. We've never asked the question. So the point is, as we're using other people's content, we need to be asking at each stage of use, do we have permission? Are we clear on what our rights are? Are we clear that we've even asked the right party? Mm Because another quick side note is, especially with music and film, our instinct is to ask whoever performed it. So if it's music, we'll say, and if you're a worship leader, Hey Keith, is it cool if I use this song? You're like totally. You Mm. didn't even write the song; I did, (laughs) but you recorded it. Yeah. And I don't want to use your recording. I want to use the underlying musical composition. And Mm. you just said yes because Mm -hmm. you're not thinking at that granular level. Yeah. So, so part of it is that. And then film, you know. Well, hey, this was on. You know, I put this up on my Facebook page, or I put this up on Insta, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you're like totally cool without thinking of the implications of do you own that. Or does the church own it? Where did you create it? Yeah. Did it incorporate pieces of other people's property into your property? So actually three different, uh, you need permission from three different people. Mm. So that's that's how I would say, do you want to instigate the conversation? But you also asked about resources. Yeah. This is where for me, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to sell anything, but I to me, this is like, I have to be prolific in putting out resources to train in this area because yeah. no one is focusing on this area. You'll find a tax attorney or a handful of tax attorneys that focus on nonprofit law issues without the entertainment culture and intellectual property issues. You'll find mm-hmm. intellectual property attorneys who will focus on corporate perspective intellectual property rules without ever thinking about creativity mm-hmm. and and creating a culture of creativity mm-hmm. so there's there's very few people in this whole country that actually focus on the merging of these areas so nice. for me, I, I know it's important to keep putting out resources. So I write articles on this stuff. I have uh, you know, classes and videos out on this stuff. Um, yeah. But if you want to look elsewhere, you know, CCLI, look at CCLI's resources. I mean, look at the Copyright Office website. Uh, ironically, uh, for an, an organization that is designed to protect or create protocol around the protection of copyrights, very few people realize there is a ton of resources on the US Copyright yeah. Office website. Read awesome. some articles, read some circulars. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of uh, otherwise, not a lot of real concise resources on this stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have to dig and kind of follow threads.
1: Yeah. And Brock, I know we're going to come back to this at, you know, toward the end as we wrap up here in a few minutes, but your website is, is a great place for people to begin that journey. They're starting to have this conversation around who owns it, what do we do with it, uh, what happens if it blows up, if it goes viral, and even if it doesn't. Are we right. creating a culture around being able to facilitate the creativity of those that we've brought onto this team? Right. And so I think that especially as we move toward more and more digital platforms to tell our stories. Right. And I think you, you alluded to something else. I just want to hit on for a moment. There is so much interest and energy being put behind video content right now. Yes. Uh, everyone knows it's no secret that video content stays in our news feeds longer because of algorithms that social media platforms are using. So, you know, more screen time, more ad time, yep. all that. So there's this real push for video content and for film. Yes. You know, you've spoken a little bit about it. You talked a little bit about music too. Can you just talk about video for another few minutes? Maybe some of the parameters that you're seeing that leaders are not putting up that leave them vulnerable and uh, and what can they do about that?
2: Sure. So a uh, couple of angles on video. It's an interesting conversation. Um, a couple more statistics. Something like uh, 85 to 90% of all internet traffic will be video over the next couple of years. Wow. Another interest. So, so if you're, you're not if you're a church or you're a creative and you're not focused on video as a delivery mechanism, you're already behind the curve. Um, yeah. So that's something that's important, practically speaking. The other thing is, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, the data shows that the vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean something greater than 80% of all video on social media is watched silent. So mm-hmm. churches are putting out content. I had a conversation with the church yesterday, or a couple of days ago, And I was saying, you know, their worship videos, 80% of the time are this, (laughs) you know, or whatever. It's just hand motions and instrumentation because people aren't, they can't listen. They're in line at a store or whatever. So, so a lot of this stuff is being listened to on mute, which tells me, number one, if you don't have closed captions, Mm -hmm. you're missing the boat. If you don't have some other visual element that engages your audience, aside from strumming or speaking, walking stage back to forth, you know, back and mm-hmm. forth or whatever. If there's not another visual component, yep. pop-outs, you know, things like that. Um, you, so your video has to be more creative in a in a time and space where most people are watching it on silent. So those are yeah. practical sort of Very strategy good. elements, right? Yep. But in terms of what you do, um, maybe on the legal side and the practical side of protection and making sure you're covered, is number one, video and always, almost always involves privacy issues. Because mm-hmm. when we're do- dealing with video, there's almost always a, a person on camera or more people. Have we cleared rights? Have we asked those people for permission and got consent in writing? Even if it's on the back of a napkin, we don't need a 30-page contract. We may, but don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. Have we taken any steps to get consent for that person or those people to be on camera and in mm-hmm. that, that video? Number one. Number two, have we determined that who owns the video? Number three there are always multiple elements that go into video, go into multimedia presentations, including typically music, um, dialogue that may or may not be cut from the same time you're shooting the video, right? There's yep. all these
1: elements. Still imagery, yep.
2: Exactly. Have yep. we got permission for each of those pieces, not only to use them, but to use them in this way? So yep. quick tangent, um, when you use music, when you record it, there's a certain type of license. When you couple it with visual images, either photography or, or a film, we call that a synchronization. That's a different right than putting mm-hmm. it on a CD or putting mm-hmm. it on for a download or for streaming. Mm-hmm. So that synchronization right is a separate question we have to ask. Um, not just can we use the song or the film or the, the image, the film, the dialogue, but can we actually use it in in synchronization with the video? Yeah. Um we're also starting to see uh, the content of the video violate terms of service on different platforms because as a church, we may not view our our um, video content, and I don't want to go t- too deep down this because this can become a quite volatile conversation, but you know are we discriminating in the context of our content? you know mm-hmm. uh, I know recently people have talked about whether or not a female can preach, and I'm not <laughs> definitely not going um, to speak mm-hmm. to that point here, but the issue is is that discrimination, if that's our video, have we set up our organization for a lawsuit mm-hmm. because the actual messaging and the content of the video that we've produced or we've put out on our distribution platform, all of these moving pieces have to be considered.
1: Absolutely. You know what I love about this, Brock, is this should appeal to the conscience of every Christian leader that we err on the side of permission And on caution, yeah, because truly what we do with this stuff, I think is a reflection of who we serve. Yeah, Brock, when churches and leaders get this right, because I'm sure you know and have seen and can tell all the horror stories, (laughs) Um, but for the churches that are out there that are doing a really good job, can you just talk about some of the benefits, some of the the added uh, things that a a ministry might experience by kind of sorting some of this stuff out and and getting a good handle on it?
2: Yeah. A couple of really practical, they save a lot of money in the long run.
1: Mm.
2: Um, they may spend some more in the uh, you know, front loaded expenses. But I'm telling you, once you get a cease and desist, or especially if you get sued, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars just to hire a defense attorney, even if it's a bogus claim that you'll win. Right. So you're going to save money. You're going to save a lot of heartache because mm-hmm. when people... I mean, this is relationship in general. Um, when people understand the dynamics of the relationship, they understand how it's defined, they understand where the boundary lines are, they're much more they're much more likely to invest in it because mm-hmm. it feels safe. They're much more likely to contribute even when they don't feel like they're winning because they believe in a bigger purpose because things are defined. Mm-hmm. things are understood. So I think it preserves relationship, it preserves uh, finances. Mm-hmm. I also think, what it does is from a stewardship standpoint is it, it it enables your, your pastor, your senior leaders, your council board, elders, whoever is kind of governing to look at the whole situation and say, we're stewarding this. Well, we understand the conversation. We're not like closing our eyes or burying our head in the sand. So there's a sense Mm -hmm. of security and knowing we're making good decisions. Now it doesn't mean those are going to be successful. Mm -hmm. I've had churches come to me and say, Brock, because we've talked about, hey, this may not make sense on paper financially. And they say, if we have to spend every last dollar of this budget to put this content out because it will help change, shift souls towards the kingdom, mm-hmm. we'll lose it all. It's mm-hmm. worth that expense. But the thing is, they went into that conversation understanding the risk. Yeah. So to me, you're, you're basically creating a culture of commitment from your people Mm-hmm. a culture of safety and and, and not, not conservative in a bad way, but conservative in, in the sense of, we understand the risks that we're taking and we're making calculated risks. Mm-hmm. We may blow it all and we're okay. <laughs> we need to put this out. No one may listen to it, buy it, engage with it in any way, but it's right for our culture. You have buy-in from your mm-hmm. community. And also, I think the other side of this is our congregation feels safe. If you're mm-hmm. in a church and the congregation knows these people don't take this stuff lightly. These Mm -hmm. people actually think through and they have such a great culture of creativity and openness and confrontation Mm -hmm. and problems are worked out and problems are spoken about and, and nothing's kind of in hiding. That's not like the elephant in the room. Your congregation feels safe. And when your congregation feels safe, what are they doing? They're telling their neighbor to come to church because yep. they're not embarrassed. They they know that their neighbor's not going to get ripped off at church, you know, yeah. whatever. So, so it creates an environment of safety for everyone top to bottom. I think those are the, the huge key points.
1: So good. And this really is such an important topic of conversation for churches to be having right now. Brock, where can they find out more about you, uh, how you might be able to help, whether that's, you know, as a consultant helping them or just even start as a starting point, getting online, looking at some of your resources, talk about where people can find out more about you.
2: Yeah. So Brockshinen.com is kind of, I would say, the entry portal to my world. Um, I of course have a law office website, but it's I, I would say that's kind of just a static notice. Hey, I'm here. My law firm's here. But mm-hmm. Brockshinen.com is where I put out free content all the time. There's blogs, there's articles, there's downloads. Um, I also have a podcast where I talk a lot about the, the pragmatic and the practical of leadership and, and making strategic decisions. But all of that is found through brockshinan.com.
1: Awesome. And additionally, you have a new book that's coming out soon. Take a few minutes and talk about that.
2: Yeah. So uh, book's coming out in February with uh, Baker. And uh, it is The Christian Entrepreneur, Dream, Plan, Execute, and Grow. And mm. what I found... Now, I didn't write this for a market. I wrote this from the heart. But what I found is that you know, there's a ton of resources that tell you how to have good ethics in business. Mm. You know, in, in the Christian space, we have so much access to how to have integrity, how to walk with integrity, how to listen to God. But very few resources that tell you how to actually know if an idea is a good one, mm. if how to read a PL, how to think about marketing... Mm -hmm. very few resources on that side. However, in the general market, we have a ton of that without the spiritual component. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do is create a resource for people who are building. And this isn't just like, hey, I'm starting a software company or an apparel company. This is even for creatives that are just writing books Mm -hmm. or songs or whatever. People that want to build and create a business around that, understanding the business best practices with the spiritual best practices, how to Mm -hmm. weave God, Jesus, and, and your prayer life into how do I understand finances? How do, mm-hmm. I, how do I make sure that this this business plan actually makes sense? How do I talk to investors? Mm. All that kind of stuff is wrapped up in this
1: book. Brock, what an incredible resource. I can't wait to read it. We hope our listeners will pick up a copy as well that they'll follow you on what's happening in social media, brockshinan.com as well, your website to, uh, to get more information about your resources. Brock, you're incredibly generous with your knowledge. You're a wealth of it, man. Just what you know about all of this. And we just scratched the surface today. And so uh, we hope that in the future you'll come back and that you'll join us again and we dive a little bit deeper into some of this stuff. I'd love to, anytime. Thanks so much, Brock. Great having you today. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. Well, that was a really good
3: interview. Uh, I'm back here with Keith and David. I gotta be honest, while coming into this, coming into this whole episode, I was thinking, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a creative. I've never written any music. I don't play any instruments and I sure don't sing. So there's nothing that anybody would sell that I have done, um, but this this interview, Keith, and uh, with Brock really opened up uh, my eyes a little bit. It's interesting you you deal with this a lot because you are in the in the calm space in the church. Yeah. But this is a this isn't just about worship leaders, right? It's more than that.
1: It's it's so much bigger than that. And I think that was one of the things that became so apparent to me as I had this conversation with Brock is that church leaders are content creators. Yeah. Not just the creatives who are doing graphic design and building websites and you know taking pictures and shooting video and editing it. We're talking about pastors who write sermons are content producers. Yeah. In, in fact, our churches are producing tons of content that we don't even necessarily recognize as a piece of content that could add value beyond just using it in a discipleship class. And and so there are so many stories as well. I know that we have just based on our travels and people that we've interacted with where we see that, hey, this isn't just a certain group of people or employees at the church, but it actually involves everyone. Yeah. Because we live in a, in a digital world where people are producing tons of content on a consistent basis.
3: I just think about every church that I've left you know, you when you're at a church and you're working at a place, you're you're creating things, you're making things, and it's not artistry making things. I'm thinking about job descriptions and policies and systems, and you know, I've got a I've got a hard drive of just all the things that I have made, and who knows what that's going to end up being. And usually, it's just yeah. for my own reference, but yeah, you never think about that. Like, who owns that stuff that I made? Uh, and if you've made something. That's a question that you should be, you should be asking. We have the opportunity, and I know we've shared this many, many times. We're connected with so many different churches and we've seen this. We've seen it go well when churches are very intentional about this. And then also we've seen it go bad. And some of us have experienced this personally. David, I know that you have walked through a situation with creating content. Why don't you walk us through your own personal experience with intellectual property?
0: Yeah, man, I, I agree with all of this so much. This is such a, an important conversation because it kind of hits you out of nowhere. And when it does, it hits hard.
3: It's not yeah, important till it's important.
0: Yeah, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And so I can think of a time in in ministry where I was, I was on staff at a church, good-sized church, doing some really fun things. Uh, and we, you know, our team decided we were going to create our own kind of follow your own path, discipleship devotional. Man, we put like hundreds of hours into the exercises, the call-outs, the questions we wanted them to answer, even the design of it. I mean, I still have it. I was so proud, I still have it on my shelf. I mean, I just th- I thought this was, this was gonna be a game changer. And in our ministry, and we had a good sized ministry and it really did start to take off. And we and we had a out of nowhere, we didn't look for it. Nothing was, we we weren't trying to get it published, but we actually had a publisher reach out to us and say, hey, you know, we'd like to maybe use some of this and, you know, could we publish it on our platform and, and move this thing forward? And and all of a sudden it kinda got real. Um you know, we're, we're starting to like, you know, uh, my early 20s self started seeing dollar signs, you know, flashing in front of my eyes. And, yeah. you know, I thought for sure this was going to change the landscape of discipleship for all churches moving forward because this publisher believed in it. And I went to the, um, the leadership of the church and they said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like this, this belongs to us. And if you were to look at your employment agreement, it is very clear that we own everything that you create, and so um, we have no intention of this being published outside of our walls. And man, it—I can't tell you how devalued I felt in that moment. Sure. I and mean, Brock talks about that, that you know, the de—you know, deincentivizing incentivizing um, your creatives. I, in that moment, I—I I was incredibly clear that 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 I yeah. didn't want to make anything else for this church. Mm-hmm. I was done with it. I mean, I wasn't done with the church. I was done being creative for them, and they completely put a, a you know a lid on what I would even want to do. And again, and I joke about dollar signs and whatnot. It, it it actually wasn't even totally about that. There was something about the just the value as a as a leader of someone seeing what you've created and saying, "I think that could help many more people." Yeah. And and so it, it ended up being actually a pretty big pretty big deal in the church like a lot of our staff a few of our team quit over it um and, and this is all just in within the next gen world um some of our team quit um uh you know a, a group of us got together and really did decide like like hey let's just let's just buy curriculum from this point on like let's let you know almost kind of let's phone it in yeah why spend the time yes why spend the time what's the point what's the point if if it's if, if that's the way that it is now here's the thing we were all young 20s that was not the right way to, for us to respond that's not i'm not advocating for that response um but i do understand why we responded that way and i think you know again brock really as he talks through the things throughout this entire um interview that you did with him keith you know uh, that that hard line that he mentions that that de-incentivizes the creatives to create or um encourages them to jump ship to go somewhere that does incentivize them. I mean, I lived that and and not in a in, a, in an artist space um, as a non-musical pastor that was on the team that was just trying to put out something that we really thought was valuable to us and the moment that they put the lid on it and just said no 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 no, uh, you don't own any of it that it changed the entire conversation here's here's what's fascinating. Yeah. Is that about um, about a year later? We had a new executive pastor come on the team, and he came from the publishing world. And one time in our kind of one-on-one, I brought up the conversation about, you know, hey, is it, it, truth is this still the way that you, we're going to function? That anything that I create is owned by the church. And he said, "Oh no, I'm going to amend that right away. I didn't even know that was in there. I'm going to amend that right away. We want to unleash you and your team to create the." best most yeah. compelling content that that is humanly possible and if you happen to um, end up you know getting you know a publishing rights on it or any of those things we're going to celebrate you we're going to put it out and and guys we put out some of the most fun um, I mean we had 5 bands this is a church of about 5000 we had 5 bands get signed out of the different ministries two of them came from my youth ministry signed to big labels, on tour with big bands, and that would not have happened if it wasn't for that new executive leader coming in and and, and taking the lid off. And so again, if you're listening, it it is so important to be thinking of these things before it happens. Before it
3: happens. Right, before you need the policy. Right. Because then then it's going to hurt if you don't have a clear policy beforehand of what we do with what we create. If something is created and then... Like Rock said, we're all brothers and sisters until $1 million dollars is on the table. I love that line. It is destined to get ugly, and so it's creating a policy that's beneficial for both, both the church and the creator, or that's worship leaders or pastors or whoever, so that there is an atmosphere of creating. I mean, we we know of different churches, and if you see a church that has, you know, a, an album out or something, the chances are they've got a. A an agreement with those artists that's that is incentivizing them and pushing them to make it. And then if there are other churches we could name a, a couple. Everybody on this podcast would know, and their policy is exactly what you just said, David. It's what you create here belongs to us. And guess what? There's nothing coming out of those of those churches. There there is no creative video worship. There's nothing coming out of those of those places because they stifled they've stifled creativity. And, and what it really, what it's essentially about is it's a, it's a scarcity mentality that if we let something go, it could get bigger than we want it to be. It could outgrow, it could outshine. Uh, but wouldn't it be better for us to create clarity before we need to get there of the policy of what's honoring to everybody. And so that everybody knows the, the, the big thing about what happened to you, David, is because you didn't know the policy it was a policy. But you didn't even know it existed, and that was even worse.
0: And I didn't feel like I had to know. I mean, I I read through my agreement, and you know what I mean, and before I signed it. And and I and, I, and by the way, most don't, right? Most people, it's they think, hey, well, it's yeah. a boilerplate, and so they just sign. I read through it, and I, I remembered something like that being there. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm not creating in that same way. Because, again, my mind went straight to musicians. It went straight to worship album. It went straight to, you know, something more in that field. And and I'm telling you that, you know, how many times have you taught a message and thought, man, that could be a book, or that could be a video series. Or that could, you know, that could go beyond what we just did here. And and so I I think it's fascinating to see the juxtaposition between the churches that do it well and the ones that don't. There there's a, another quote that that Brock used that, um, and I think I'm altering it a tiny bit, but I don't think he'll mind too much. But it's the um this this whole concept of balancing the tension. I don't know,
3: it's his intellectual property, David. So.
0: Yeah, 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 but I'm giving him credit. So if he wants to do something with it, he can. I'm not going to sue him. Um, so the balancing the tension, you know, and, and so there's this, the environment that is created where the, the person that is creating receives benefit, but also where the church receives benefit for creating that environment. There's something about that tension. I don't think that it should only go to the artist or the author or only go to the church. Those hard lines are where I think we're trying to keep it simple, but it's actually injuring the creative process as we move things forward. And That's right, if you wait
3: till you're dead to get life insurance, you can't have life insurance. So
0: go out there everybody,
3: start working on this, think about this, have a conversation, create a policy that's beneficial for everybody. This has been an enlightening and fun conversation. Guys, I think we made intellectual property fun today. Yeah. We did it. This is awesome. Everybody, thanks for joining us on the Slingshot Group Podcast. We'll catch you next time.
1: So now we come to that part in our episode where we take a moment and we invite a guest to share a story from the front lines of ministry. And today I'm excited to introduce our very own Brian Taylor. Brian, it is great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Hey, thank you, Keith, for having me. Excited to be here.
1: So glad that you're here. And so we're putting you in the hot seat <laughs> today, uh, and we're going to make you tell a story. And I will tell you, man, that the competition is, uh, is pretty heard. fierce. No,
4: I've heard it. It's yeah. pretty
1: fierce. We've got some great stories. But before we jump into that, Brian, I want you to just take a minute and introduce yourself and tell people that may be listening today that don't know you, who you are, what you do, and, uh, and your work at Slingshot.
4: Sure. Um, so, in addition to working in the experience division with Slingshot as an associate, um, I have the honor of serving at Preston Wood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas as a worship pastor. My wife and I have been in worship ministry for uh, our whole marriage. So, that's we just celebrated 12 years a couple of weeks ago. Congrats. Um, but uh, 15 years uh, I've been serving the local church, and it's an absolute honor to be able to get to do what we do. We've got a fun environment and fun team here with the choir and the orchestra and all of that. And so that's been new for us, but we are just really honored uh, to see what God is doing, not just at Prestonwood, but across the nation with the churches that we get to serve work with.
1: So awesome. And Brian, you're such a gift, uh, incredibly talented guy. You've been on stages uh, and platforms, leading worship, leading congregations. Uh, for many years. And I'm sure in all of those moments, there's got to be at least a couple that that stand out in your mind. But for today, would you just pick one and tell us that story that just stands out as if you had to do it over again, you might have done it a little bit differently.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So I I think I'm going to go to one that was pretty early on in um, our ministry. So it's my very first time leading my very first service as a full-time worship pastor, large church, you know, room probably seats about 2,000 people. Um, And just to give you context, like I grew up in the black church. Okay. So everything that you'd see in the movies, the wailing B3s and the shouting and the feather hats and the funeral home fans and four-hour services, like all of it. And so this is my context um, leading up To this moment uh you know where i've joined the staff of a multicultural uh church charismatic probably a little bit more conservative in their expression you know uh, but i wasn't thinking about any of that uh so i'm like a month on staff if that i'm still getting used to uh my job and i'll tell you the church that i was at was not what i was used to Mm -hmm. Um, but there i was confident and excited about my very first time um out the gate so fast forward a few minutes into the service and if you were there you would see me i i guess they they describe it to me as like hopping around the stage um, <laughs> you know i think i had um you know even one of those like go to the edge of the platform and kind of lean off hold the mic out like rap style yes. and like hey let me hear you sing it a kind of yes. thing and the rest <laughs> of the team on the platform just to give you the picture, there's me all the way out the front. The rest of them, they're like all dressed in black, standing in a very straight line. You know, yeah. they might be giving me a sway or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm just out there. The, the cherry on the top of that Sunday, as we were doing the song, Trading My Sorrows. And yes, thought, you were. I thought, it, yeah, we say yes, oh, yes. You know, I was like, oh. in rehearsal, I was like, you know, what could we do to liven this? Up? <laughs> so I put in some extra key changes. And I think we ended up on, like, a Calypso, like, island beat right before the drum break where I was holding, you know, (laughs) the drum break, I was holding out the mic, all right? So, in my mind, dude, I'm like, this is great. Church is rocking. Mm -hmm. And honestly... You know, there was like 80 or 90 uh, represented nations in that church. So I had a fair amount of participation. But if I was being honest, I think most of the people that were participating probably had more of a bless your heart kind of spirit. Oh, bless his heart. Um, And everybody else was just kind of jaw dropped stares of disbelief.
1: That is Uh, amazing.
4: Including my senior pastor, (laughs) who, who was super gracious. And so we got all the way through that set. Dude, I turned around, and my wife, who wasn't my wife yet, I, this she just had a look of. It was a little bit of pity and a little bit of panic. Yeah, I describe it, and I think she was convinced I was never ever gonna lead again. So yeah. I mean, that. And was, that's when
1: you knew it was true love because she's. Still that's leaving. when,
4: because <laughs> we're still <laughs> married and still in worship ministry together, dude. Amazing. Yeah. So after that service, you can imagine. You oh. you can imagine tensions were pretty high. Um, I, I, you know, honestly, self-awareness was a little (laughs) bit of a challenge for me if you couldn't already tell from the story. (laughs) Um, so, you know, the service ends and my senior pastor is just a super gracious dude, very compassionate. He pulls me aside and the very first thing he says is, you know, how did you think that went? And I'm like, I thought it was great. I thought, you know, it was grooving. People are great. He's like, Okay. So maybe let's never, ever do that again.
1: Never do that
4: again. Never do that again. (laughs) And I'm like, oh boy. And so, you know, uh, I won't go into the rest of the conversation. He's very, very gracious with me. But those kind of conversations, and after that point, he kind of just took me under his wing. They happened for the next year and a half after every single service. Yeah. Um, He would give me feedback. Most of the time, right before we'd go down, we'd pray in his office. And he'd be like, remember, you need to keep one foot on the floor. (laughs) At all times, and I was so they, wondering if
1: they're going to start filling your shoes oh, with lead or something.
4: No, so the funny thing is because I play keys. Like for the next two years, I only led from behind the piano. <laughs> they hilarious. wouldn't. They wouldn't let me out. You know, they's like this will keep him anchored. And they're his, like
1: every time the bass riffs, Brian just starts dancing across the stage. You know, but that bass riff in that song. I mean, dude, how do you not
4: exactly? And honestly, not? I wasn't doing anything wrong. It you know, it just. It just wasn't the context of the church, and you know, I I, I just—I think my favorite part is after that. My team, every time they see me, they say, "How you doing, jump and beam?" And I'm like, "Come on, guys, really?" Yeah. So, so if you're a
1: young leader listening to this, and your senior pastor pulls you aside and says, "How do you think that went?" (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much guarantee you, it didn't go well.
4: It didn't go well. and and it's good i mean i'm i i was blessed that he really was a great leader and is a great leader to this day that church is doing very well and you know a lot of what i learned in ministry including self-awareness i learned serving under his leadership
1: brian thanks so much man for sharing your story and and the the thing i love most about this story is i just wish i could see all those faces in fact i think <laughs> i've seen those faces before yeah. and how awesome for you to have that opportunity as well to just push that church into new territory and so i think that's a really cool thing uh, that it actually played out the way that it did so thanks for sharing i'm just
4: i'm just glad like instagram facebook wasn't a thing yet because i don't think i would have made it in ministry after that one
1: (laughs) same man i'm so glad (laughs) that that was not around
4: when i first started doing
1: ministry uh yeah we wouldn't be telling stories people would be watching them on youtube but yeah brian so awesome to have you on the show today thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story
4: thanks man thanks for having me
0: thank you for joining us this week on the slingshot group podcast we invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media you can find slingshot group on facebook instagram and twitter also be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching and if you haven't already subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.